0: Uh, Let us turn to God's Word now. Uh, We will be finishing up uh, the book of James this morning. We'll be covering uh, chapter 5, verse 12 through 20. If you're following in the Pew Bible, that's on page 1013. Uh, But before, keep your finger there, Uh, before we go there, let's go to Psalm 23, That's page 458 in the Pew Bible, Psalm 23. Uh, Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Uh, Give your full attention to it. Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Let's turn now to James, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, So let me start by saying that uh, this is by far one of the hardest sermons I've ever uh, ever had to prepare for. Uh, For one, life has been crazy lately for the Ginto family. Uh, We've had to uh, go to Columbus and say goodbye to Laura's mom uh, this past week. So our our hearts are full of grief and sorrow. And now uh, we're having to say goodbye to y'all, right? Uh, You know, goodbyes are always hard. They're never easy, and, and many of you know what happened last time I had to say goodbye to you, <laughs> right? I, I, I had tears in my eyes, I could barely get through the sermons, so I'll do my best, but I can't guarantee that I won't be a hot mess. And, to, and on top of that, I don't know if you've read this passage, but this passage is incredibly difficult. I wish I could have spent more time preparing for this sermon, but I've barely had time to sit down. Um, does it sound like I'm making excuses? Yeah. I am. <laughs> uh, but only because I'm asking for your patience. Be patient with me. Okay, so it's taken a long time, but we've made it to the end of the letter, right? These verses are James's goodbye. They're the last things James has to, ta- has to say to the church. And at this point, uh, it should be clear that James has a vision of what the Christian faith looks like when it is being tested. Uh, It looks like perseverance. It looks like doing the word. Uh, Because for James, faith has hands that close the naked. Uh, It has feet that brings food to the hungry. It has a tongue to build up and not tear down. Uh, But the thing is, these verses don't seem to be a good ending to the letter. They seem like random thoughts at best. And some scholars actually say that, you know. Um, They're just random thoughts put together at the very end. I think uh, they say that James probably was running out of time or something. Um, But if you look closely, I think these verses are so fitting to end the letter. We just need to slow down and internalize them. Uh, there are, these are James's summary of what the community of Jesus Christ should look like. Something he's been shaping us throughout this letter so far. And so what does it look like? Uh, for James, the church should look like a place for healing and restoration. And so here's a simple uh, big idea for us to grab onto this morning. And it's simply this. Uh, We need to pray and love one another to heal what is broken and restore what is lost in the church. We need to pray and love one another to heal what is broken and restore what is lost in the church. If you look at verse 12... It kind of sounds like it came out of nowhere. Uh, In fact, uh, many commentaries don't really know what to do with it. Uh, I don't know if I should have preached it with the previous sermon or what, uh, but it's too late, right? Uh, I I do think it's some sort of transition, though. Uh, Remember what James just talked about. He was teaching the poor how to be patient in the midst of injustice when they are uh, treated unfairly. Uh, Well, not swearing, not swearing, continues that teaching. Uh, Have you noticed how important words are to James throughout his letter? The tongue is capable of great destruction and great division. And so I think swearing for James is a poor use of our words. And it shows how impatient we really are with them. uh, Because it uses uh, God's name to guarantee our own honesty and integrity. Uh, But James says to just say what you mean and and mean what you say. Don't use God's name to justify yourself. Be patient enough to let God do the justifying for you. And so James wants us to use our words better. Instead of swearing, he he says we should be praying. Uh, Did you notice how many times he talks about prayer in our passage? Let him pray, let the elders pray, pray for one another. Elijah prayed. I mean, do you know what prayer is? Prayer is the heartbeat of a patient person. Because prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. Prayer is an acknowledgement that we don't have it all together. That we have to wait on our God. Uh, This is what James is getting at when he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Uh, James probably has in mind the poor suffering uh, mistreatment. But it should apply to everyone who is enduring any kind of suffering. And James is absolutely right. Uh, Prayer is the right response when we are suffering when we are full of sorrow, when we are afflicted and mistreated. Why? Because prayer gives us wisdom. It gives us the wisdom to know and embrace our trials in this life. As James says early in his letter, God gives us wisdom when we pray. He gives it to us freely and generously. He is not stingy when we ask for it. And then James says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Uh, now, now, he's not talking about people with smiles on their faces, right? When, when, when you're happy, then go sing praise. That's the only time you sing praise. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, he, he's talking about something more uh, deeper than that. It's the person who has this unwavering confidence and courage in the midst of a dark storm. Uh, We see this word in Paul's urging uh, to the sailors in Acts 27, where he says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, Uh, there's that word, be cheerful, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And then he says later on, uh, So take heart, be cheerful, there's that word, men, for I have faith in God, that it will be exactly as I have been told. Uh, James says, when you have this kind of courageous cheerfulness, then you should sing praises. Uh, Or more accurately, you should sing the Psalms. Not that we shouldn't also sing hymns, uh, but James has in mind the Psalms in particular. Uh, I mean, just think about how significant the Psalms are in the life of the Jewish believers. And by the way, James is one of them. Uh, they would sing these songs every, every chance they got. Uh, why? Because in them we find our, the ups and downs of human existence. The Psalms are able to give us words when we don't know what to say, especially when we are praying. I hope you know this. Uh, singing and praying are closely uh, connected in Scripture. Uh, the, the Psalms are prayers sung. So if we're going to truly learn how to pray, you know, the Spirit of God tells us that we don't know how to pray. But if we're going to learn how to pray, then we need to make the Psalms our own. We need to sing them and internalize them. I mean, how many of us are ignorant of the Psalms, right? But God says, sing them, sing them, pray them. I think the hard part of our passage is what James has to say about those who are sick, right? Um, uh, Verse 14 and 15. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Uh, let, me, let me just say, there are so many different opinions about these verses. Uh, different Christian traditions do different things with these passages or verses. And so it's not surprising. Uh, because it is. It, it's, it's a hard passage. And so by way of deduction, I want to be clear about a few things. Uh, about what James is not saying. James is not trying to make faith healers out of us. You you know those wealthy televangelists uh, who claim that they can heal people? You know the ones who teach that if you just believe hard enough, you can do anything. You can make the lame walk. You can take away heart disease. You can heal incredible sicknesses. But if you can't, it's because you don't believe hard enough. Your faith is too small. That's not what James is talking about here. Uh, So that begs the question, what is James talking about? Uh, Well, first of all, this kind of sickness is not a common cold, right? It's not a common flu or or, or a stomach virus. Uh, No, this person's sickness is probably someone in the brink of death. Someone who's dying from cancer, from a heart attack or an aneurysm or from COVID or something. Whatever it is, it's very serious. So James tells, us to, uh, tells him to call for the elders. And the elders are supposed to get some oil and, and, and anoint this person in the name of the Lord. And, and then they're supposed to pray for this dying person. And so what's this oil business about? What it's not is medicine. The oil doesn't become a substitute for chemotherapy. It doesn't replace, uh, you know, medical pills. So what is it? it it's, it's a sign. It's God's sign for those who are dying. Let me ask you. What would you be thinking if you were close to death? Some of you probably know what this is like. I think at those moments, you'll have uncertainties. You'll have fears as your body is giving out. Is God for me or not? You'll wrestle with doubts. Is following Jesus, is this whole thing true? Do you think God wants to abandon you at those moments? No. No. What God does is meet you where you are. So, the elders put oil on your head to remind you of the realities of Psalm 23. You know that passage we read earlier that we're about to sing after the sermon? The oil is a physical reminder that God is with you. That you are His, That He is continuing to shepherd you. That He is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. So if you're sick, if you're desperately sick, go call for the elders. Let them put oil on your head. Be reminded that God is with you, that He's not going to leave you in the valley of the shadow of death. What James is doing is is overlapping uh, the physical and the spiritual here. Because in his mind, physical things communicate spiritual realities. I mean, we see this in Jesus' own ministry, right? Jesus heals people to tell us who He is. That He has the power to forgive sins. That He is the Son of God. Uh, notice that James doesn't say that being anointed and and being prayed over heals the sick uh, he, he says it saves him and, and God will raise him up which probably refers to the resurrection and if the and if the sick person sins he, his sins will be forgiven you know James doesn't actually talk about healing until verse 16 where he tells us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. Again, it's, 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 it's important to point out what James is not saying. He's not saying that confessing our sins to each other and praying for each other takes away our cancer or will heal, heal our viruses. That's not James's point. He's talking about our true sickness, Sin. He's talking about the healing of the sins that keep us apart from one another. He's talking about the healing of our relationships, the healing of the wounds that we inflict on one another. I think James's point is that we need to be desperately confessing our sins to one another as much as a sick person needs to be anointed by the elders of the church. You know... Now more than ever. That's what the church needs. The church is full of open wounds. Yeah, the church is full of open wounds because we have too much pride to confess our sins. To one another, I know this is true for me. I know I don't want to do it. Right? It's, it's hard. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. But you know what? One thing I can tell you is that I've never regretted confessing my sin to my brothers and sisters. And neither will you. God meets us there. God meets us with healing. Until we can make confessing a habit in the church, our prayers will not have great power, as James says. I mean, listen to what he says: the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I want you to notice what James doesn't say. Uh, he doesn't say the, pro- the, the prayer of a knowledgeable person has great power. He doesn't say the, po- the power. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the prayer of a respected person has great power. He doesn't say the prayer of a wealthy person has great power. No, James says it's the prayer of a righteous, the one who is just. That person has great power in his prayer. The righteous person is the one who can confess their sins to other people, who's humble enough to seek, uh, to, to seek forgiveness. Uh, John famously said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Now, I I don't think John is simply talking about confessing our, uh, our sins to God in our hearts. We should be doing that, right? For sure, we need to be doing that. But confessing our sins to God and to each other aren't mutually exclusive, For John, confessing our sins to each other is confessing our sins to God. Just like loving our brothers and our sisters is loving God. And notice what John says when we confess our sins. God forgives us and He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. In other words, God makes us righteous. Uh, But the righteous person is not only the one who can confess their sins. Uh, James has said in his letter, It's also the one who clothes the naked, who feeds the hungry, who who honors the poor, who doesn't talk down to other people, who doesn't use their power and money to mistreat other people. In short, the righteous person is the one who obeys the royal law, the one who, who, who loves his neighbor as himself, And so James gives us an example of this kind of person, the prophet Elijah. I'm sure many of you know who Elijah is. Uh, Elijah is a major figure in the Jewish imagination, Uh, even though he's mentioned in only a few chapters in the Bible, Elijah uh, was was colossal in proportion. Right, Like Abraham, like Moses, like David, Elijah was a bigger-than-life character to the Jewish people. Uh, in fact, they expected the Messiah, the Anointed One, uh, to come in the spirit of Elijah. Uh, but as big of a character as he is, do you know what James says? Elijah was one of us. He's, he's human flesh just like us. That should really give us confidence. We don't have to be more than human to pray with great power. But what made Elijah stand out? It was simply because he was a righteous person who prayed. I I wish I had time to rehearse Elijah's uh, full story here. Uh, But go read it. Uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 17 through 19. Uh, it, it's amazing how much overlap there is with our passage. Uh, James reminds us that Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for a very long time. And you know what happens when, uh, when it doesn't rain? You know what drought does, right? It kills people. It kills animals and, and produce and, and, and everything else. And then Elijah prayed, then, then, then it rained. I think James, those are the two bookends of of Elijah's ministry. He prays that it doesn't rain, and then he prays again, and it does does rain. But James wants us to to also remember what came in between. Because if you read between between those two prayers, you'll see Elijah do something remarkable. Uh, Remember the widow's son? The son who was about to die? Uh, The text says his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. I mean, that's the kind of illness that James is talking about, isn't it? Near death. But the widow, the widow actually accuses Elijah of bringing death to her house. By the way, Elijah is ministering to a widow. That's what James says is true religion. Right? Right? That's the religion of the righteous person. And now he's being accused of bringing death into her house. But how does Elijah respond? He prays. He prays for the child to be healed so that he can live. And God responds. We're told that the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The son was healed and he was restored. So why did God listen to Elijah? Because he was righteous. That's James's point. That sounds weird, right? <laughs> that somebody will be listened to because he's righteous. But that's not anything new. James is not saying anything new. God has always had an ear for the righteous, for those who seek to do good, to be just. And so we read this in Proverbs. The the Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. And Peter affirms this very thing. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, Listen, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that righteousness or, or being just is something that naturally comes from us. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what James is saying. Because he already said that every good gift comes from God. Righteousness is actually God's goal for us in the Gospel. That's His gift to us. God is transforming us in and through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Uh, Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. That's the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. Why? So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Really think about that. The gospel isn't just for us to go to heaven when we die. The gospel makes us more and more like Jesus in the here and now. The righteous one of God... Is transforming us to be like him through the gospel. That's part of the good news. Okay. I know I spent a, a, a really long time on that first point. I promise I won't be as long in the second one. So what's, what's James' vision of the church so far? The church should be a place of healing as we pray in righteousness for one another as we confess our sins to each other. Uh, And now in these last uh, two verses, James says the church should be a place of restoration as well, where wandering people can be brought back home, where wandering sinners can find salvation for their souls. According to James, there are people in the church that can wander from the truth, I guess it's not only James that says that. I mean, I mean, John says that, Paul says that, Jesus says that. So we need to stop thinking that we can do whatever we want just because we're in the church. Uh, no, James says we need to continue to walk in the truth. Otherwise, we will wander into a pit and we will die. So what does it mean to wander from the truth? Well, let me say, wandering from the truth isn't about misinformation. Right? It's not ultimately because someone has bad theology. I mean you have good theology is great, but that's not what James is talking about. You can be really you can have really good theology. You can memorize the creeds and the confessions, you can read Calvin, Luther and the Protestant reformers, you can master uh, the church fathers, you can even memorize the whole Bible from beginning to end, and yet you can still wander from the truth. You see, because the truth isn't just about something you learn. It's someone you follow. Jesus Christ is the word of truth. And when you are following Him, truth becomes something that we do. It becomes our response to the truth. It becomes something that we embody. And so James closes, uh, closes his letter with a bang. He says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering Will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, notice what James calls this wandering person a sinner what 's a sinner in james 's letter? Uh, he said it in chapter four: Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. This person knows god 's word, but he doesn 't do it. He looks in the mirror. And then he walks away and then he forgets what he looks like. I mean, do you know what kind of faith knows the truth, but doesn't live according to it? The faith of demons. Demons know the Trinity. Demons probably know the Bible better than us. Yet how do they live? That's why a wandering person needs his soul saved from death. And when that happens, James says, a multitude, a multitude of sins are covered. Man, so, so how do we bring back sinners? How do we bring back those who are wandering from the truth, who are, who are living like demons? Well, we can't do it by force, right? Sinners will not be intimidated into the kingdom. They won't turn back because we twist their arms. And we can't do it by outsmarting people. I mean, you can take a sinner to seminary, you can teach them all the ins and outs of Reformed theology. It doesn't mean you can bring them back from their wandering. It doesn't mean you can cover a multitude of sins. Uh, What does saving sinners from death and covering a multitude of sins, uh, what do those things sound like to you? Sounds like Jesus' ministry, doesn't it? If we are going to bring back sinners and, and, and cover a multitude of sins, then we have to... what? We have to embody Jesus' own ministry, which was a ministry in love. We bring back wandering sinners in love. That's the only way. Uh, here's how Peter puts it. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Even those who, who are walking away from the truth, those who are wandering, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love is what Jesus' ministry looks like. It's the reason He was able to cover our many sins. That ministry of love is what James wants us to embody. So may we may we be enamored, so deeply moved by the love of God that we embody it in the church and in the world, that we show it to sinners. That's the mission of the church. The church is to embody the saving mission of Christ, to continue to bring people back from the way of death and to cover a multitude of sins. You know, Jesus came. Not for those who are well, not for those who think they have no sin, but He came for those who are sick, who know they need healing from the many sins that are in their their hearts, the many sins that separate them from, from other people. Jesus came for the sick. Jesus is the great physician of our souls. At the cost of Jesus' own life, He bore our sins in His body on that cursed tree. Jesus came to bring healing to sinners like you and me. By His wounds, we have been healed, Peter says. Jesus became our wounded healer so that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. And so that's, that's what we have this morning in the bread and the wine before us. It reminds us that God is in the business of healing and restoring people. That God has and is healing and restoring us in the life, death, and resurrection of His Anointed One, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, besides you there is no God. And so we praise and honor your name. We give you all the glory for calling us to walk the way of truth, for healing and restoring us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who gave himself for us, he who prayed for us and loved us to the very end. We pray that you would help us to walk according to the truth of the gospel. Help us to pray for one another, to love one another, Make us more and more like the great shepherd of the sheep. Turn our faces to Him. In the name of the coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.